hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what are we talking about today? We are going to discuss The Locket, 1946, Archeo Pictures. Michael, what are we drinking today? Oh, cheers. Cheers. We have a Belgian triple from a local brewery, Project Barley. They're down in Lomita, which you as a native would be better. Uh, to me, it's down by San Pedro. North of there. Close to Torrance. They're relatively new. They've only been around, like I think, a year, a little over a year, a year and a half. Came upon them, and I've been tr- we've been trying their beers, and they're doing some great stuff. I, they do a double, a triple, and a quad. This is the first time I've had the triple. There's a nice yeastiness on the nose. A little pinch of sourness to it. Mm-hmm. It's good. It doesn't have the, the big, some of the, some triples will get that big, they call it, it's like a bubble gum quality. This one, it's, it's sweet, but it's also, it's like very floral. Feels It feels like a spring garden in a way to me. I get some of that nose and some of that flavor of just earthy and plant life. I think it's delicious. Do you it, like it? I do. It's good. And thank you for bringing the glasses, the specific glasses. Oh, yeah. And I, I got to tell you, the bottle is beautiful, too. It's, they have a very cool emblem. It's just pretty black. And then they have very simple, streamlined. It's numbered, too. Yes, it's 63 cool. out of 102. I'm I'm a huge supporter. I've been telling people about them since I... And, and I'm, I'm surprised a lot of people I know, they, they haven't even heard of it. But it's just one of those things where LA is so big, you can exist in one place. 20 miles away can feel like another country. Like you're going on vacation. It's And, and we've done that. I, we've actually done that, where we sort of took a little vacation and it was only 25 miles away so but this is great project barley i love that it's just belgian triple they don't try to give it a a name yeah this is this is good stuff i will say this the director of photography is nicholas musaraka we've had him before on the hitchhiker and he's one of the guys who helped lay the foundation for how noir films are shot this one also has Robert freaking Mitchum, who's kind of a film noir <laughs> god. I love Robert Mitchum. Yeah, I like, think this like was... Like, if I could go back in time and drink with, with somebody, <laughs> I think I'd go back and have beers with Robert Mitchum. I think Roger Ebert called him the soul of film noir. He's just... There's something about him. It's like, it's not a perfect face. There's just, He's just a man's man. You know the guy liked to have a few drinks... I mean, he did get busted with marijuana, I believe. It almost ruined his career. Back then, that was a big deal. And I I think there's a quote where he never thought acting was difficult. I think some people beat him on the chops for that, saying something like that. He said, like, I make horse movies and non-horse movies or something like that. I took some classes on film noir, and it was like he was considered like a a noir person. And he was considered somebody who he was specific to cinema. I'm just a huge fan. Anything he's in, it's just, I'm, I'm like, sign me up. I'll check it out. So this, this one, he plays a little different character in this one. But we open, and right from the beginning of this film, we get an old couple that arrives at a wedding. They're walking up, and they're having this little conversation. And the older lady is like, there's something up with the bride. Nobody knows her. She doesn't really have any people. Which is our first little red flag that something's up with this. The older man is a little more okay with it. And he makes sort of like this flippant remark about... Hey, if it keeps away undesirable relatives, all the better, and kind of has a laugh. Clear this is a hoity-toity, very upper crust 
snobby kind of wedding. They get they get into the wedding. The old man, I love it. The old man sort of insults his wife, calls her like, you know, an old woman or something. And then when they meet the bride, who's Nancy, she's lovely. Lorraine Day, she's just lovely. And the old man immediately goes into creepy old man overdrive yeah. where he kisses her. Yeah. And he's like, waka, waka, waka. You know, yeah. it's like the, the eyebrows are yeah. going up. Like, old, like the old cartoon with the wolf that's yeah. like, ooh. Yeah, he's like, prove it with a kiss. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know? Nancy's a charmer. She's laying it on. She's lovely. She's charming. They're going around. John, her groom, is like, they're meeting people. They come upon this woman who has a, a birthday book. So she says, hey, Nancy, when's your birthday? She goes, November 3rd. And the woman starts reading off November 3rd. Oh, well, there's a bunch of nice stuff about people with your birthday. And then somebody comes up and taps John on the shoulder and says, hey, somebody's here. You need to come over. So he walks away. And all of a sudden, the woman with the book goes, oh, wait, that's just the nice stuff. Here are the bad things about people with your birthday. You're cruel, selfish, and destructive. File that away. John goes into his room, and there's a gentleman, and he introduces himself. He's Dr. Blair. I saw you in the paper. The woman you're marrying, I was married to her for five years. And John's like, well, pump the brakes there, pal. Dr. Blair is going, trust me, she's a twisted person. Truth is beyond Nancy. That Uh, is harsh to say to anyone, but it's your bride on your wedding day. A hopelessly twisted personality She's ruined the lives of three men that I know of. And what I love is John gets a little look on his face, but well, when's her birthday? Exactly. That's and, a proving point. Yes, exactly. That's all you need. It's like, that's all he needs. Not, not like birthmark or anything. And Dr. Blair takes a moment and he goes, well, it's November. And he goes, what day? And he's like, November 3rd. And John's like, oh, no. <laughs> He might be telling the truth. That's all he needs. That's that's it. This is a lot to lay on a guy on his wedding day. But John apparently accepts. He's willing to listen to Dr. Harry Blair. And so this begins, oh, that was one reason we picked this beer. It's a Belgian triple. And what we go to now is the first of three flashbacks in this movie. And this movie is known for its nested flashbacks it's convoluted non-linear story the cinematography used to transition the flashbacks it becomes like a slowly close-up onto the person who's telling the flashbacks face as if you're entering into them we enter our first flashback and dr blair relates to john willis his relationship with nancy and we go all the way back to miami in 1938 Dr. Blair and Nancy meet in a bicycle accident. She seemed so perfect to him, which is a reoccurring theme in the men in her life. I have to point out, except for the very beginning of the wedding day, because this movie actually takes place in one day during a wedding, everything else is told in a flashback. The only way we know Nancy, excluding the beginning and end, is through flashbacks by her male lovers telling about her. So it's not firsthand. This is their view of Nancy. So he even points out he is a psychoanalyst and he didn't recognize any issues with Nancy. So my question is, she's able to fool everyone or he is not the best doctor. 
it's sociopaths can be very difficult, and I think mm-hmm. is what we figure out. They can they can be hard to find. You're not looking for it. If, like you meet somebody, they're just charming and wonderful. You'd have to be the most cynical, suspicious psychoanalyst yeah. to go into every relationship going. I need to find out what's wrong with you. Because you know what? At that point, you need to be looking at yourself. The three men in her life that we know about, her current husband that she's marrying, John Willis, her former um, husband, Dr. Harry Blair, and her former relationship, Norman Clyde, all of them saw her as a perfect woman. And none of them saw anything until the very end. They were all blinded. And it could be love that they're blind, but what you're saying, you're not looking for that in a mate until something shows up. You're yeah. not looking for that in a once you, once you find something, then you get suspicious. Even Norman Clyde, when he comes to warn Blair, he even says, yep, she's something. She is something, but he knows exactly what she is. Yeah. Dr. Harry Blair and Nancy have a romance. He's 36 and he has no money. They return to New York. He's going to start his practice. This is all done in a montage. And he has no money. But I have to point out, if he has no money, Nancy is able to decorate their apartment. And he's actually like really pleased. Like, oh my gosh, he's, she's able to do this. That should have been at least a point to him. Like, how was she able to revamp this apartment? I mean, he, I mean assuming also, there is a class structure going here. Dr. Harry Blair says he has no money. And that's having no money as a very educated man. Saying, I have no money is very different from someone who comes from the lower class saying, I have no money. And so there's a lot of this classist issue that's constantly going through here. Part of me also thinks it could have been the fact that he really did have money, but no money to him means like, oh, my bank account's only at like $2,000 this month and everything yeah, like I, that. I, I don't have a castle in yeah. England right now. Also with her character, she's a climber. She's not going to be with somebody who is, quote-unquote, loser. So they're in New York. Dr. Blair, one day in his practice, is visited by a young man named Norman Clyde, played by Robert Mitchum. Oh, by the way, I just have to say again, Robert Mitchum rules. It's interesting to play a struggling artist. Norman Clyde says, there is someone who is going to be executed tomorrow. You need to save him. And he's like, why am I involved in this? Like, do you need to really see me as a patient? And he's like, no, no, no. Your wife, Nancy. She's involved with this. There's a quick exchange they have that I do love. I'll have you play Dr. Blair. Have you been drinking? I can handle it. Not yes or no. Yeah. Just, I, can, like, I can handle it. Obviously. <laughs> I can handle it. And I like the fact that he gives uh, Norman a cigarette to calm down. Because back in these movies, like everybody's like, smoke if you got him. Like, oh my goodness. It's like, whoa. Yeah, like, if you need to calm down, let me give you a cigarette, maybe I a mean, cup of coffee. We're both old <laughs> enough to remember when you could smoke in places yeah. a lot more than you can now. But man, back then it was like your doctor would be like, oh, you need, you need a smoke? And he even at one point asked for a drink. He's like, got anything to drink? And he's yeah. Like, yeah, you don't need it, but he does give them sedatives, them sedatives at the end. <laughs> which is just what you need is to mix some booze and some sedatives. And Norman sits down and he starts this nested flashback. Flashback the, number two. The cinematography is so great because it slowly draws in to Norman's face and his shadows get darker and darker. All of a sudden you're in the flashback. Again, Nicholas Musaraka, yeah. genius, man. The guy, The guy could just shoot the hell out of some stuff. And this shows it again. And that is, I will say, we've, we've been going back and forth on this. And I'll just start throwing yeah. things out. That the camera work and the lighting, very, very noir-like. Uh, we can have discussions about different aspects, but 100%. There is so much like high contrast, yeah. deep shadow with light. 
that you can't even argue that, that that's noir, and the guy who's shooting it. So we, we go back in time. Clyde, he's an artist. He's a portraitist. But the Depression was tough on him, so he took students. So he started teaching art classes, which I thought was just brilliant because he must have been lucky. My understanding of the Depression was, I bet most artists were out pounding rocks or standing in soup lines. If you were able to just go, hey, nobody's doing portraits right now because the world is in hell because of a depression, I'm just going to start teaching art. And his art class is full. There's a lot of people that... Packed with ladies. (laughs) It's all ladies. Young, attractive ladies. He's an angry artist, and he he sort of ticked me off because it's like... You know, as somebody who likes to write, I'd love to, you know, get paid for it. If I don't care. He doesn't he doesn't want rich people to buy his stuff. He does if you don't understand art from inside out, he doesn't want you to anywhere near his stuff. And I'm just going, people like that drive me nuts. And he's even cranky about the fact that he's teaching classes. He and Nancy miscommunicate because they have this thing that sends them off in tirades. She is there because her friend, her friend Thelma yeah, recommended her. this class because her boss, a very wealthy man, Mr. Banner, he seen some of the sketches she did while she was taking shorthand and wants her to express her creativity. And Norman's response is, the parasitic rich can escape boredom. <laughs> I'm not that hard up. And Clyde sees himself, and this is once against this class that runs through this movie, as a person of the lower class. And he sees Nancy having a job working for this very wealthy industrialist. She's upper class. Just seems like a great boss. This banner guy <laughs> seems, I'd be like, whoa, how do I sign up there? And he even says, he's like, I think it's important that people should be engaged in some sort of creative, you know. He seems like a good guy. A yeah, boss that you want. About- so he insults her. She storms out, and Thelma comes over and goes, You are such a jerk. She works for Mr. Banner. He could possibly help you out. We get voiceover from the guy who's not even tell, telling, telling the story. It's a flashback of Dr. I, Blair recollecting Norman's telltale. Exactly. Norman told this to Dr. <laughs> Blair. And I do have to say, these guys are really detailed. Yes. And what they were telling. <laughs> So anyway, Clyde, after this, makes a fool of himself. He's going to go to... His favorite Italian restaurant. His Italian restaurant owned by the aptly named Luigi. Nancy's there. Whoa. There. And he gets up and he's going to try to apologize. He goes over to her table and she's sitting there. And she goes, do you often act like that? And his response is, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm giving him points. He's a jerk. But... He gets a point for being honest. Yeah. And ladies <laughs> like the bad boy sometimes. Yeah, I can, yeah. often do. <laughs> and so they connect. And once again, we have this montage of a romance. She sees in Norman the opportunity to escalate her status in society. She sees that he's an artist, that people will like his artwork. So she brings Mr. Banner to his studio. And his studio is always in dark. Like, there's always this contrast. When we show high society, it's always light. Very bright. And, and we show the lower class, it's always dark. So his apartment, even though it looks like it's a penthouse, it reminds me of the Friends because it has these open windows, but it's always dark and it's usually rainy. There's a lot, a lot of deep shadows when you're in his place. She wants Mr. Banner to buy his piece that's based off of the Greek myth of Cassandra. And Mr. Banner, when he sees that portrait, Cassandra is this Greek myth 
where she was a prophet of Apollo. In some ways, the mythology says that she was cursed to utter true prophecies, but no one believes her. That's a terrible power, by the way. It is. That's like the worst. Like imagine standing by the Titanic going, hey, this thing's going to (laughs) sink. This thing's going to (laughs) sink. It's going to hit an iceberg. Because everybody else will think, and that's the opposite side of this, is that everybody thinks that you're crazy and insane and a liar. You see the portrait of Cassandra, and it's kind of a nightmare because the eyes have not been painted. It's beautiful but it's hair, Nancy's it's a beautiful face. face it's ever, but yeah, the eyes are white. That's disturbing. And so Mr. Banner is like, well, you really seem to like the hair, but the eyes, I don't get. He goes, when I think of Cassandra, yeah. I think of a mad woman, like crazy yeah. eyes, going on a bit. And then he just looks at Nancy, which this is not a very nice thing. He looks at Nancy, he goes... Well, I like you. <laughs> and she's clearly uncomfortable. Oh, they do a cutaway to her, and her face is just shock. Of course, Clyde is like, it's not for sale. Just big jerk. Yeah. He's like, like, you don't know nothing. <laughs> My art's not for sale. It's meaningful. Yeah, yeah exactly. I can you know? own pieces of it. It's just, I mean, it's just a crank. It's, it's just Norman Clyde. He wants to be an artist. He hates teaching it and won't sell anything because he hates people who can buy art. So what is the point? Why would you have a studio? You should just be sitting in the street painting whatever. And at the party, what's interesting is once again, Mr. Banner makes an offer and Clyde raises the amount. 500. From 500, he says 5,000. And Clyde's thinking, this amount of money is so outrageous that even the wealthy class will shake their head on it. But we are introduced to Mr. Banner's wife. She's a little easier, a little easier on the pocketbook yeah. than I am. When she hears five thousand, she has a bad a bad a lash. And I know it's the it's the forties. Five thousand was a heck of a lot more than five thousand now. But at the same time, these people seem so unbelievably rich that I'm like five thousand probably isn't that much to him. It's because his wife is just like, no, well, that's not that much. But Norman Clyde thought. That by raising it to that level, that no one could afford it. What's huge to me is nothing to these people. So then he then he's like, it's not for sale anyway. At this point in the party, there's a little kerfuffle because a bracelet is lost. In that little scene, he says, because he does not want to sell Cassandra to the banners. And he says to Nancy, I'll give it to you as a wedding gift. And that's sort of an interesting thing because that will come up. In one of the other flashbacks. They end up in Luigi's. Norman feels more comfortable there. And they want a song. And Luigi tries to explain like how the Jew... Like, like it's it's a little convoluted. But oh. enough to separate Norman and Nancy with Norman at the table with Nancy's purse. And Norman, therefore, goes in her purse looking for nickel and finds that bracelet. He is so upset, he grabs Nancy and basically says, we're heading back. And he brings, he drags her to his place. Like, he doesn't drag her home. And so they get back to his place. He really wants to understand why Nancy took this bracelet. Like, it is so important to him. He's like, people don't take stuff. Her first response is, I wanted it. And then she says, I saw it, and so I took it. And he says, people don't just take things because they see them. And I thought, actually, yes, that's how a lot of theft occurs. It's a crime of opportunity. Often I, I, I see that, and I grab it, and I take it. That's pretty much how it works, Norman. 
<laughs> but he was looking for a deeper meaning. Like he wasn't accepting what she was saying. She says, I never stolen anything in my life. Now remember, this is Dr. Blair recollecting Norman, recollecting what Nancy said to him. Exactly. And so it's like a game of telephone. Except these guys are really detailed. <laughs> And they're remembering everything perfectly, I'm assuming. Just real quick, if Norman Clyde is coming to Dr. Blair and saying, hey, a man's going to be executed tomorrow and I need your help, I'm going to tell you a story. Why would he tell the story of the music? And and by the way, when we were at Luigi's, it was a funny thing. The jukebox at the table didn't work. Had to do this whole thing. And Hold on. And we just... And you have to get someone to go over and you put the nickel in and then they'd have to go over to the big jukebox. Are you following me? <laughs> and you just be like, dude, you really, there's a guy that's going to die tomorrow. You're trying to tell me a story here. At that point, when you start looking at Nancy's character, you're either going to be on one side where saying, she's clearly lying at that point. Or another side saying, she just doesn't understand what she's doing. I'm constantly going back and forth. And I think she's just lying to tell him what he wants to hear at this point. But remember, this is not Nancy describing herself. This is Norman recollecting to Dr. Blair recollecting to John Willis a discussion. So you have to remember this is all seen through her jilted lover's eyes. What I will say is Clyde's recollections seem to try to protect her. She doesn't come off as like cold-hearted about stealing it. She's innocent. I never stole anything in my life. So his recollections aren't as negative as Blair might make them out. His recollections, in some ways, are still trying to protect her. Even though he knows what she is, the portrait he's painting of Nancy is of somebody who's, like, a little damaged. We go into our third flashback, because now... Which, by the way... Oh, yeah. The third flashback... Cheers! Making this triple... <laughs> this is, I'll tell you, it's getting... There's a little pepperiness to it as it warms a bit. You get, like, yeah. white pepper. Yeah, that smell yeah. is just gorgeous. So, yeah, Project Barley... They're Belgian triple. Good people. And this was down in Lomita. It's actually on the Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, it's uh, it's just right there in the smack dab in Lomita. Did they smack this label on right when you bought it, or did they have these sitting out there? No, they're in a cooler. Oh, nice. This yeah. is really nice. Yeah, it's it's pretty. That, that would be, and especially I love the numbering. That's yeah. always kind of a, a nice little touch. Yeah. If you know somebody who loves beer, it's got the cork, it's yeah. got the little cage on it. It's a 750 milliliter. This would be, if you have a beer lover in your life, like this would be a great gift. I gifted it to myself and us. <laughs> exactly. In the podcast. I feel uh, very gracious to cheers, have Cheers again. Cheers again. I, I'm really, I'm glad you like this. This is super tasty. So we're in our third flashback. So now she's telling Norman Clyde, you know, hey, this goes back to a locket. Whoa. Title of the movie, right? <laughs> like when I was a kid. Her dad was an artist, and he died. This sent her mom into becoming a housekeeper. I do have to say this. I don't know if you thought about it. When we go to the flashback, she's 10. Her mom looks like she's about 60. Yes. That's even, like, pushing it today. That's when hard labor really <laughs> aged you. <laughs> I mean, it was a little jolting to me. I thought, no, do you mean grandma? So she's working for Mrs. Willis, and Mrs. Willis has a 10-year-old girl, Karen, Karen and Nancy are good friends. They're best friends. They're the same age. Karen's birthday is coming up. She's having a party and she wants to bite Nancy. She asks her mom and Mrs. Willis goes, who's Nancy? First tell. This little girl lives at her house. And the wealthy don't recognize the and, help. Yes, it's upstairs, downstairs. Yes. At this party, which is elegant, very well lighted. It's bright. It's wealthy party. 
Nancy. Also, a lot of like, there's laughter. And yes. Fun. Oh, like and, what and, a great part. The food looked fantastic. <laughs> and, and Karen had told her. She said, "It's unfair. You yeah. can't come. But I'm going to make sure you get everything all the other girls yeah. get." And they're getting platinum pins. That's yeah. going to be a gift. Would you like a platinum yeah. pin? Karen is a good friend. She brings, she slices her cake and brings it to Nancy it's in the kitchen. It's a good sneak. And she gives Nancy the locket. Now, at that point, we think the locket is just another gift for their birthday. But later on, at the end of the movie, we realize that this locket actually, it, it has some value to this family. It's once again this classic thing where you would get something so valuable to a small child to walk around with. I don't think Karen understood the value. No. Karen gives her the locket. And this is this is another moment of the whole hierarchy yeah. and the and the different class thing is Nancy goes around the kitchen showing all the other help. And did you notice they all talk like the help? It's yes. Like, it's like they're you were in New York and they almost have Cockney accents. You know, it's like lower class lower accent. class accents. And, Every one of them. And it's the only time that in the movie that you hear the word ain't. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, Karen's mom busts into the kitchen, and she's like, tell Nancy. And she says, Nancy, I have to take it back. And there's a point, too, when Nancy had that locket. She actually looks up, and she thanks God, saying she will never ask for anything again. And the point of Nancy's character is she doesn't ask for anything again after the situation. She takes takes what she wants. And and her mom, after this, she's all crying, and her mom comes to comfort her, and her mom goes, Oh, Nancy, if you want something enough, you'll get it. And, and it like, sounds like self-help I, books like yeah, nowadays, yeah, like The but, Secret. <laughs> but, but, but I thought, oh, you know what? Otherwise, just take it. That's how Nancy yeah. interpreted that. That went into her brain, and she went, oh, yeah, if I want to just take it. The next thing that happens is the locket goes missing. Everybody in the house freaking out, Mrs. Willis Blowing up on everyone. Find that locket. So we know this locket is pretty important. It's a family heirloom. It's important. Yes. She calls Nancy into her little office or whatever. Yeah. You know she's thinking Nancy might have pinched this. Yeah. She's talking to Nancy and she's trying to get it out of her. And, yeah. and Nancy sort of melts on. She's like, I didn't take it. And starts blubbering. And she's like, I didn't take it. And she's like, little girls sometimes take things. Yeah. Meanwhile, Nancy's 60-year-old mother... <laughs> is going through Karen's things for mending and oh like down in like a little the seam or, or something seam, like. she comes across the locket she's elated hustles on down not really concerned that her daughter was just called away without her permission I know I guess it's how they, it's a classist thing again too yeah. but upper class can you can call just, you can they just they call my 10 year old and, and they call her housekeeper's daughter yes not her name housekeeper's yes. daughter and so she comes in and goes, hey, is this the locket? Well, this isn't what Mrs. Willis really wanted. She's just been bullying yeah. this 10-year-old kid. Yeah, she's upset that Nancy's mom has called her on this. So she immediately turns the tables and goes, well, of course you're trying to protect your daughter. Yeah. And I'll show you how you get this out of kids. That's what Mrs. Willis says. And she literally starts shaking on Nancy and forcing her in a corner where she knocks over a music box and this haunting music plays. I do have to throw in, it's a cigarette music box. Because there's a bunch of cigarettes in it. And that scene, it's shot from bottom up. And Nancy's face is completely tormented. And that scene's important because it's a life cycle for Nancy. Because at the end of the movie, Nicholas Murasaka, he shoots that exact same scene right back as an adult. 
And you look at both those scenes, if you side by side, like he did such a wonderful job. Like this is impactful. This is important. And Miss Willis is like, I want you both out of the house. These nested Russian dolls, we've got to the very bottom, the core, and now we're going to start stacking them back again. So we're back actually to the time period of the second flashback, which is Nancy's time with Norman. <laughs> he had got out of her all the information, yeah. and he's like, hey, there's another party at the Banners. Yeah. Another stellar <laughs> birthday at the Banner household. <laughs> yes, exactly. So he's standing there, and she's, she's not around. And he just gets jealous. He's thinking the worst. They're upstairs messing around. So he heads upstairs. He's standing in this hallway. There's a gunshot. I gotta ask you a question, Michael. Don't you think the whole party would have heard that gunshot? I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I want to say like, yes. Why did everybody come running? <laughs> and all of a sudden, Nancy come busting yeah. out of a room, clearly freaked out. Yeah. That moment, I would think he should have been like, did you just shoot somebody? Yeah. He made a decision right there. He put his life I, in line with Nancy. They kind of skedaddle into that elevator and go down to the par party and kind of mingle again. And the and poor valet, he just picked up the gun. He's like, someone dude. needs to call the police because something happened. And the maid like throws him under the... Every, everybody's just like, you're done. Good day, sir. <laughs> we find out that there's something called the lumbar diamond, which Mrs. Banner wishes she'd never seen, never had again. File that away. We're going to the cross-examining scene where Clyde is is reading from the paper. I they, guess they, they printed out... The, the court transcripts? Yes. <laughs> that makes a good news there. article. <laughs> Holy smokes. I guess I, maybe papers were bigger back then. I guess they were. You know, so he's doing this quick cross-examine. Nancy's a little cold. She's pacing back and forth, and she's like, why are you doing this? Why do we need to do this? And at this point, I kept thinking, wow, she's a murderer, and she's crazy. There's something wrong with her. Norman is so blinded by her. They both lied to the DA. He had a choice at that point to come clean, but instead he lies to the DA. He does, and she leaves him. After she bails, they convict another guy. Myron. The valet. So when that happens, Norman Clyde sends her a telegram, and it just says, congratulations. Here's what I don't like about it. Send it to yourself, too, because yeah. you covered for her. Yeah, you lied. So you, you were there... And there was a gunshot, and she walked out of the room where the gunshot, where the dead man was. Both of you are kind of just crumbs. Lorraine Day is pretty fantastic. She does. From beginning to oh end, God. she's amazing. If I was there, I might have been just suckered. I might have been the fourth flashback, you know? <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I could I do. I, that, she might have just caught me, and I would have been like, oh, okay. We're back to the flashback. We're back at Dr. Blair's office. And Dr. Blair... Well, he invites him to dinner. Okay, this drunk guy comes in with a crazy story about, yeah, about, your, my about your wife. wife. What the hell is wrong with you? To me, that means that either he's saying, oh my gosh, am I such a bad psychoanalyst <laughs> that I miss this? That maybe there's something to this? He's like becoming a Monty Python character. Like, yeah. Like, like a bad psychoanalyst. Yeah, exactly. like, this gets taken by everybody. And he does. I mean, that's the sad thing. He does. He's taken in by this. He sees her as a perfect woman. And he doesn't see any of this. So he heads home. Nancy's not there, but the newspaper's laid out with that article. Myron the, Dixon is, is going to be executed tomorrow. Yeah. He's all fidgety, and there's a great shot. Uh, Nicholas Musaraka yeah. again. He goes over and looks at the clock, and the clock says 4.15. And then the camera slowly just pans up. There's no edit. There's no cut. The lights drop. The camera pans back down, and it's 6 o'clock. 
I mean, it's a simple little shot, but it, it is just, it's so smart. Here we are, and he's still there just being panicky and fidgety. Where is my wife? And she shows up. And she had attended a matinee with a friend that she had told him. And I don't even know if I believe that. No, I, I think be- she's lost. Because <laughs> the whole time, she, the way she's talking, there's that there's that old thing where they say, if you're lying, keep it simple. Nancy's got this whole thing. I think she's right? out stealing jewelry. <laughs> I think she was totally out. She was out criming. She was totally criming. I'm glad you thought that too. And then he tells her about Clyde, and she's like so smooth. Yeah. And he's like, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm having Norman over. And she doesn't miss a beat. Nothing. He walks in and she's like, oh, Norman. And she says, I was nowhere near the bedroom when Mr. Banner was killed. I was nowhere upstairs during that entire evening. Now, according to Norman Clyde's flashback, they were. And she came out of the bedroom. So one of them is lying. I believe that she was the thief, the liar, and the murderer at this time. I, I totally did. I love how how calm Clyde is. Tell him about the bracelet. There's nothing. And she's like, what are you talking about this bracelet? I know nothing what you're talking about. And then, I know you're a liar and a thief. Like, like he drops, Clyde throws that at her, and Blair just takes that. I think he's wavering a little bit about what's going on with his yeah. wife. But at the same time, somebody coming in your home and just throwing these, like, some pretty harsh insults. At your wife, it'd be like, "Hey, buddy, take it down a notch." Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is exactly. my home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is my I, lady. I, I invited you here, yeah. you know. And then, and then he gives the line, "You got him right where you want him. He's gonna make all the mistakes I did." And Norman leaves. Doctor Blair is he completely blinded by his wife? He's been with this woman for five years. Five years, and, it, and it, it, he never saw anything. Sometimes, if you're not looking for it, you're never gonna see it. Part of me is really sad by this movie because part of it is saying you can never truly know a person. There's so much layers hidden behind them. People that you may know for a long time, you really still don't know them. They can hide some deep secrets. Otherwise, I'm thinking Dr. Blair is a horrible doctor. (laughs) And this, it gets sadder. Because the next day, Dr. Blair goes into his office and he's kind of feeling a little better about stuff and he gets a visitor. And that scene... Norman is standing next to the window. That, spoiler alert, he eventually jumps out. And it's lit up. It's bright. And like a light is casting down him. Suicide is a, a horrible thing. But for some reason, I think the movie is casting this like as a positive escape for him. Because it's it's not dark or anything like that. It's like lit. Like he has like when Nancy looked up the god, like he's looking up into the sky. And it really bothers me that scene. <laughs> it really does, Michael. And he's called into the office goes in and he's completely lucid, calm. He's carrying something. It looks like a painting, but it's it's wrapped up. And they sit down, they have a little chat, and Dr. Blair is do you think you need some help? And Clyde keeps going on about how he doesn't have an opinion about Nancy yeah. one way or the other. It's like he's made a release. He's way too calm. This is your burden to bear. Myron's Myron was executed. They missed yeah. a vote on that. I think Clyde was just like, I failed. I failed this man. I failed. He leaves, and as he's leaving, the doctor's like, you forgot this. And he's like, no, no, that's a wedding gift. It's the Kassan portrait. Closes the door, then we hear glass break. Here's who I felt bad for. The secretary who witnessed this. He threw himself through a window. This wasn't no second story. He he went down big, and I felt bad because you hear the scream. And Dr. Blair goes out, and Norman Clyde threw himself through a window. And once again, that Cassandra myth. Where, you know, you have these people who are telling the, the truth. They're a prophet of the future. 
Norman had tried to say, listen, Dr. Blair, you're going down the wrong path. You're not seeing it. This is the truth. No one believes these men in her life. I think that she has chaos inside her. In fact, I think it's why the story is telling this nested, fractured way in a very linear way. That there is chaos. There's no authority over life. She'll do, do what she wishes. No, I'm not a film theorist, but, you know, this is my stab at it. They, they head back to England. That's where Dr. Blair is from. This is World War II, mind you. Yeah. So he's also going home to, like, try to help with the war fight because... England was in a spot. They're being bombarded every night by by the Nazis. Nancy is ambulance corps, and you know, of course, the doctor is he's psychoanalyst, but he's a doctor, <laughs> he's so a doctor. he can just be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lord and Lady Wyndham's they have this retreat for people, uh, war workers who have yeah. nerves are a little rough, and it's like a little getaway. They're out in the country, so they go to Lord and Lady Wyndham's where this woman. Is doing hands, knees, and boomsa daisy, yeah. a song that got into my freaking brain. It was written by Annette Mills. It was first recorded in 1939 by Joe Loss and his band, featuring Annette Mills on on vocals. In the movie, it's sung by Queenie Leonard. It is. A, it's it's a naughty song, right? It's, I mean, that's... It's, it's a little saucy. Yeah. it's a little saucy. You know, but so after the hands, knees, and boomsa daisies. Blair and Nancy are sitting on the couch with this other lady and her necklace is on the couch. And Blair looks over and real sneaky eyes because Nancy sees the necklace and Nancy reaches for it and Blair's like, oh, is she a thief? Is she going to thieve it? Is she going to crime that? And she picks it up and hands it to the lady. So he's like, oh, man. I'm a horrible husband. One thing we find out is that Lord Wyndham loves to hike. Addicted to hiking, <laughs> you might say. So, And that's when Blair and this voiceover is saying... I kept trying to figure out how she found this. Why did she pick this place? So they're hiking in the fog. Lord Wyndham goes, Over there is the largest house, the largest castle in Devonshire. It's, got a moat. it's, it's too, too foggy to see, so I'll describe it to you. And again, I, I'm going, Why is this being relayed to yeah. us? Why is this important? You know? Because so he's the, relaying this to John Willis on his wedding day. Exactly. And John Willis is just going, Dude. He's like, Let's skip the phone. Lord Wyndham part. Are, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is ridiculous. I've wound my watch since we started. And then Lord Wyndham's like... He says, you know, you probably heard about my old jewelry collection. That may be the reason you're up here. He goes, it's quite famous. And, and then we do a quick cut to Blair. And, he, and he's like down tying his shoe or he's doing something. Yeah. And he just looks over his shoulder like, what? Yeah, the doy? That's why she wanted to come here. I'll tell you what, if I was at this estate and that foggy, a Belgian triple would be absolutely delightful. And I would go for a nice hike on his estate, and then I would have a bottle of this yeah. from oh. Project Project Barley. And we finished it. We did. <laughs> we're, doing, we're, doing the, we're doing the good work. We're doing the Lord's so, work here. So, so you guys don't have to. <laughs> but again, if you know anybody, if you're in this area, check these guys out. They have a, a key lime pie beer. I'm not kidding. It's delicious. They use real key limes. They've taken their respite from the bombings and everything. And it's time to go back to London. But as they leave, the driver says, well, there's a necklace missing. Dr. Bill, he really suspects that Nancy might have taken it. He wants to see inside Nancy's purse. And he's like, hey, can I get a cigarette? And she go and he tries to grab her purse. And she's like, oh, here's a cigarette. 
And he's like, uh, I need a match. And he's like, grabs her purse again. She's like, here's a match. He's like, oh, I'm dumbfounded. Like, you know, I can't think of anything else to ask. To get out of your purse. <laughs> like a mint. <laughs> Nail file. <laughs> Compact. <laughs> yeah. And finally they get home to Devonshire Terrace, which is a, a important name. And he's going to try one more time. He's like, um, do, do, you have, do you have our key on hand to open up our flat? And she digs through and she takes way too long. She's like, ah, oh, I'm just going to open it up. He opens up the door and they go in. Eventually she's like, I know I have the key. And she dumps out her purse in front of him. And of course there's no necklace. He apologizes to her. He says, like, oh boy, he takes it really he's like, hard. Honestly, he really like, breaks uh, down. Nancy, like, I really, really thought that you had taken the necklace. She's like, I, I'm not a thief. And then... The air raid silence. We are in the midst of World War II. Yep. Blitzkrieg's going on. And so he grabs his helmet and heads out. She does it. She's she, gonna... He's like, you coming too, honey? And, yeah. and she's like, nah. There's a nice little touch. She goes over and pulls down the blackout curtain. I got to hide my crimes. Exactly. Then Dr. Blur's out. And then they're they're getting a call of everybody return to Devonshire Terrace because it's been bombed. Oh, no. I mean, he skedaddles back there. He gets to go into the rubble because he pulls like, I'm a doctor. And he did, and he sees something that reminds him of his apartment. He starts digging, and he pulls. Thinking up. he's gonna find his wife. Yeah. I think he's looking for. Nancy. I, I honestly do. I think yeah. he thinks that Nancy has passed away, and that you know, this is horrible. This is what happens in wartime. But instead, he finds a piece of jewelry, and he digs more. Not just any piece of jewelry. I'm pretty sure that's the Lombard diamond. Oh yeah. It's, oh, that's it. Yeah. It's clear that that's, that's the it. Lombard diamond. <laughs> and then he finds a lockbox full with other jewelry. Then. Nancy appears and she sees that and she's just like what what's that and then she goes is there more and they do kind of a close-up and her face is they they have it at a tilt and she looks 100% insane that transition out of that scene is a Cassandra portrait and finally the Cassandra portrait has eyes it has Nancy's eyes and it's a really spooky scene because you don't see remorse in her eyes you don't see you just see like is there more? She's completely broken. And Dr. Blair is even more broken. Well, she has him committed. Which, yeah. How does that even work? Somehow she gets him gets him locked up in an asylum, which, I don't know, if you're a psychoanalyst, it's going to hurt your career. And then we come back and, and Blair's like, hey, that's, that's my story. Yeah. We're back at the present. We're back at the day of the wedding. She divorced him when he was in the asylum and changed her name, yeah. which, which is important. John Willis has her come in. And by the way, his name is John Willis. Yeah. He brings her in. She lies, lies, just lies and lies. We were never married. And finally, he just goes... He's going to make all the mistakes I made. Like Clyde said to me. And he walks out. Nancy says this. There's there's this pretty nasty little exchange where Nancy says, You could wish me happiness. And he goes, There can be no happiness for you ever. That's, yeah. a, that's a heck of a goodbye. Yeah. And he leaves. <laughs> she goes up. She's getting dressed. Mrs. Willis, from her youth, comes in. She's marrying. When you go back to the beginning of the film, when she was a little girl with Karen, who is now dead, and they talk about her older brother. Being at school. At school. Yeah. Nancy has come all the way around from that little girl She's now an adult marrying into this family that cast her out. That just weird devious, man. Nancy makes no She doesn't go, hey, remember like, me? Yeah. Because first of all, she probably knows if Mrs. Willis is the kind of person yeah. who would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
you're that housekeeper's daughter I threw out, then you're, you're not, not marrying my son. But so Mrs. Willis comes in and she's like, hey, Nancy, you know, uh, Karen's dead. This, she holds up a locket. She goes, this has been in my family for generations. Three generations of, of Willis women have worn this locket. I want you to wear it. She puts on the locket that she took away from her 20 years ago. This is the first Jenga piece that makes the whole tower kind of wobble. And she kind of teeters and knocks over that same music box. The music box with the smokes. And that haunting music comes on. And And that's the other Jenga piece that makes the tower go. Her whole tower of lies comes crumbling down. She descends into her wedding and all the voices from her childhood everything that's happened to her she hears that voice from her. she's closing her eyes the music keeps swelling yeah. she gets the voices in her head clyde willis her mom herself she's walking down it's a great shot she's just doing a great job showing you how she's trying to keep it together yeah. and it's like this isn't no and that same scene of when she was 10 years old that break comes again as it comes full circle and Nicholas Murasaka did such a good job because it's almost the exact same setup. It's just as an adult now. She breaks. Screams out. She collapses. The wedding's over. We get Dr. Blair. Give some, uh, you know, psychoanalytic mumbo jumbo. She's broken. The locket was a symbol of something when but she was young. In some parts, this movie is saying, because even at the end, we end up with a doctor who says, like, I really can't diagnose her. We could just love her. And hope that's, that's what for needs. the best. Yes. That's also the moment they're bringing her downstairs to take her out to the to the wagon where she's going to be taken to an asylum. And Mrs. Willis is like, yeah, John, you're done. You didn't marry her. Boy, bullet dodged. But Dr. Blair starts saying what she needs is love. Do you think you can love her? John doesn't say anything. He just walks and follows Nancy out the door. His mom, like, not happy. And we don't even know if she figured out, oh, my God, that's the little girl from the locket 20 years ago. There's no resolution in this movie. There's absolutely none. The only resolution is I'm confident that John is like, I'm not giving up on her. I love her, and I am going to try to help because her Because John this. thinks that she's still the perfect woman. Are we saying all these other men were fooled? I think so. I, I think Nancy was it, just a sociopath. Are we saying that all people are fooled by the people in their lives? We never know. Because that movie ends, it's now all in shadows. And Miss Willis closes the door. So, so Nancy's cycle in her life, her goal in life to achieve that status, doesn't happen. And the door is closed well, to her. It, well, it still may because yeah. John is with her. We're left with more questions of what's going to happen than any answers. And all our answers are provided by these jilted lovers who I trust them more than Nancy. I like the movie. Uh, I'm a a fan. I don't personally think this is a film noir. I I think it has some noir characteristics, but I think it's more of a a psycho-melodrama. That's how I view it. When I think of film noir, I think, one, there's a camera work. The camera work is definitely there. Nicholas Musaraka. Musaraka. I've had too many drinks now. It's hard for me to pronounce. All right. I mean, he's known for making these film noir movies. Oh, he's very much so. The situation doesn't lend itself to what I think is noir, which usually I associate with a crime. And granted, living in the world of crime. Yeah. Like like it's it's taken. It's not it's not the cop movie where the cops are solving a crime. It's taken from the vantage point of crime, and this really isn't. This is looking at someone. 
from different perspectives and trying to analyze their behavior. It's definitely, like you said, like a psycho melodrama. If this was a film noir to me, Nancy would have been getting Norman Clyde and Blair to do crimes for her. Agreed. That, that's what a femme fatale does. Yeah. She manipulates men to do the things that she wants done. I recommend this movie. Absolutely. It's, it's not easy to find. We watched it on Warner Archives. I think it's a really interesting movie. It's one of these movies you could sit there and discuss and peel apart scenes. The more I watched, the more I enjoyed it. And you know what? Just grab some. Another one. I got to tell you, Project Barley, they're doing some great stuff. They're a new discovery for me, and I just can't say enough nice things about them because their beer is fantastic. Good people down there. Belgian Triple, that thing was fantastic. Yeah, Project Barley, Belgian Triple. And the locket. This is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.